From Slate, it's upon further review. I'm Mike Pesca. This is a podcast about sports what ifs. And what ifs are often about regret. Fans ruining the day, bemoaning a play, thinking about what could have been over and over again. In a word, loss. And if you're of a certain age and from a certain place, the loss that looms largest will always be the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Sure, Seattle is still mourning the Supersonics, and the Raiders never seem to stop picking the scab in Oakland. But when it comes to finicky franchises, it's the Dodgers leaving for L.A. that is the original sin. But what if they never did? Leave, I mean. Imagine a world where the Dodgers were never ripped from the borough of their birth. Instead, they've been in Brooklyn all this time, and it is only now, in 2018, that they are finally going west. To make this alternative universe as real as possible, we called on a journalist and broadcaster who has dedicated his career to facts and truth, and we have asked him to sully that hard-earned legacy. You know, just because it'd be fun. I'm talking about former NPR host Robert Siegel. We sent him on assignment to see how Brooklyn is today, right now, coping with the impending move. First, I got to find him on the radio dial. Hold on, let me tune him in. It's probably on the left side of the dial. High 80s, low 90s. Ah, yeah. Meanwhile, let's get... Tuning the dial. It's something that we, we actually had to do, kids. Okay, wait, wait. I think I hear the station. For their part, the magazine's editorial board maintains it was simply a typesetting error and that no reasonable person would ingest 40 sticks of butter in one cake. Okay, for the blow- sounds like this report's about to end, then I'm sure there'll be one of those funding credits, but Robert Siegel should be on after that. David Folkenflick, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Near the end of Flatbush Avenue, past the Caribbean roti shops and down a side street decorated with lawn angels, stands the home of Ron Schweiger. The 73-year-old Brooklyn native is the man Mayor Bill de Blasio trusts as the city historian. He has a gray mustache, and on this morning, he wears a Dodgers sweatshirt with matching Dodgers slippers. Watch your step. We carefully make our way down a narrow stairway, past family portraits and other bric-a-brac. There's little indication of what lies ahead. Here at the back of the basement, which is really the the front of the house, this is my Brooklyn Dodger room, right here. Museum is more like it. Portraits of Sandy Koufax and Pee Wee Reese stare back at me on the walls. There's a framed copy of the front page from the 1994 championship edition of the Brooklyn Eagle or the failing Brooklyn Eagle, as President Trump now calls it, and an autographed baseball from boxing prodigy turned hard-hitting catcher Mike Big Mitts Tyson. And in one corner, on the table all by itself, is Ron Schweiger's most prized possession, an old, yellowed ticket stub. I was seven years old, 1952. My father had box seats behind home plate. And I'm holding his hand, and we get to the top of the ramp. I stopped short. My father goes, what's the matter? And I pointed to the field and I said, the grass is green. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, on television, everything's black and white. (laughs) It was the greenest grass I ever saw. I'll never forget that. It's still in my memory, holding my father's hand and seeing the green grass at Ebbets Field. But for the O'Malley family... 
the grass is greener out west in Los Angeles. As the longtime owners make arrangements to move the team, this is the last season fathers and stroller moms can take their children to Ebbets Field. The O'Malley's have threatened to leave Brooklyn before, but there was always enough of an outcry to stop it from happening. What do you think of the idea of the Dodgers moving to Los Angeles? I don't like the idea. How about the Dodgers moving to Queens? I don't like that idea either. Well, where would you rather see him if you had to choose between the two? I'd rather see him right here in Brooklyn. Now, they're finally pulling the trigger. Standing here in Ron's Brooklyn basement, it's hard to believe the beloved bums will be in Beverly Hills this time next spring. What's there to dodge? Paparazzi? I have nothing against the players, but I just can't root for the Yankees. To understand why this is such a blow for fans like Ron, you have to understand how the Dodgers transformed this once sleepy borough into the vibrant metropolis it's become. The picture we're looking at right now is Jackie Robinson sliding into home. He's about a foot away from the base. That's sports writer Michael Shapiro. We're inside his office on Columbia University's Bed-Stuy Brooklyn campus, staring at a framed portrait of number 42, stealing home. You have to think that Robinson's going to get to the plate Shapiro says Robinson was the first to bring Brooklyn to the Dodgers. The large African-American community could finally cheer for one of their own. Robinson's exploits were hailed in newsreels across the country. The first member of his race to play in the majors makes good in a big way. But Shapiro is quick to note those days weren't all Manischewitz and Roses. They have this amazing period where they are the best team in the National League and the second best team in baseball. And the problem is the best team in baseball is the New York Yankees. Knowing what we know now, it's hard to believe the team actually feared the Yankees. The same Yankees who now can't give away tickets unless it's for the annual Subway Series with the Dodgers. The Bronx Bombers might still be dominant to this day if not for Brooklyn's homegrown flamethrower, the pride of Bensonhurst, a young pitcher who turned the pinstripes into petunias. Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax. The man who would not pitch on Yom Kippur. Okay, great pitcher, greater Jew. The great Dodger pitcher is best known today for his line of locally sourced pastrami, but Shapiro still remembers Koufax for that one day in September 1965 when he took to the mound and put the K in Brooklyn. Well, here we are in Ebbets Field, and it's the top of the ninth, and Sandy Koufax, son of Brooklyn, is pitching a perfect game. Come on, Sandy, beat that guy! Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed the perfect game! The next day, schools shut down, and an impromptu parade took over Coney Island. Yeshivas saw a rush of Little League pitchers outside their doors begging to convert. Shapiro believes the perfect game and the string of World Series victories that followed sparked Brooklyn's decision to break free from New York City, restoring a certain municipal swagger. And it couldn't have come at a better time. This was the 1970s, when the rest of New York was in severe decline, back when the trains broke down and the city went belly up. Remember the famous headline, Ford to City Drop Dead? Well, people forget the headline in the Brooklyn Eagle that same day was Ford to Brooklyn at a boy. That is a live picture obviously a major fire in a large building in the South Bronx region of New York City. While the Bronx was burning, Brooklyn was booming, and it all culminated in the 1977 World Series against their crosstown rival. This is the kind of command these fans had come to expect of their Dodgers. And when Reggie Smith 
Bruise Dick Kidrow in the sixth with a two-run blast. He put the final icing on what has become a daytime nightmare for the Yankees. Reggie Smith, otherwise known as Mr. October, led the Dodgers to victory in 77, 78, and 81. And it was all about the pitching. Players like Fernando Valenzuela, Oral Hershiser, and Hideo Nomo were virtually unhittable. And what Brooklyn teeny bopper could forget the whistles when Dodgers heartthrob Steve Sachs strode to the batter's box? He was just the hottest guy in town. We all, we all loved Steve Sachs. That's Jennifer Grundell. She and her friend Nicole Fairweather were part of a throng of teenage girls along the first base side who used to chant, Saxy, Saxy, when the leadoff man got on base. Oh my God, he had the nicest arms. They were just so big and muscly, and he just, you know, took charge when he was on the field, and it was just so sexy. The boys in blue were suddenly the toast of the town. They'd be spotted in Williamsburg Studio 54 or dating the models who descended on Prospect Park for Fashion Week. Brooklyn. Real cool, because Brooklyn's cool. And the Dodgers' winning ways rubbed off on the rest of the city. Rap groups like Third Base, named after third baseman Ron Say, helped bring hip-hop to the masses with their song Celebrating Brooklyn. And the Dodgers were quick to embrace it. Outfielder Pedro Guerrero famously walked out to most F. Fans who rode the J or Z lines to Ebbets received a free hot dog with their ticket to honor everyone's favorite local rapper. As Jay-Z famously put it, he made a Dodger hat more famous than a Dodger can. Few things united the city across racial, ethnic, and class lines like the Dodgers. The thing about baseball, because it's a game every day, is that there's a story every day. Again, Michael Shapiro. You know, you're looking at the newspaper and reading on the subway, and you're looking at the sports section, you're going, can you believe these guys? And that is the glue that really makes urban life worthwhile. The way baseball bound Brooklyn together cannot be overestimated. After New York Mayor Ed Koch's administration was thwarted by civil unrest in the late 1980s, the mayor of Brooklyn said he had a better idea. Do the right thing. And so, Mayor Charlie Schumer dispatched members of the Dodgers into the surrounding community of Crown Heights to quell tensions. Black and white, Gentile or Jew, we can all rally around Dodger Blue, said the fourth-term mayor, with Tommy Lasorda and Spike Lee at his side. And if nobody goes through those turnstiles, we've got nothing. Thank you, everyone, for coming up. We love you. We thank you for your support. Thank you. I know it's nuts. But it's my kind of nuts. The Dodgers are why the ball drop on New Year's Eve now happens at Grand Army Plaza. It's why the remake of Welcome Back, Cotter got even higher ratings than Roseanne. It's why a young Biggie Smalls first started writing poetry, inspired by Vin Scully's clever wordplay. And if you don't know, now you know. But for all its cultural cachet, how much of an economic impact has the team had? All of the scholarly research on this subject says a sports team by itself does not make an economic contribution. Andrew Zimbalist is a sports economist at Smith College. First of all, it receives very large subsidies from the, from the city, usually in the form of uh, building and tax exemptions. And the other thing that happens with the ball team, generally speaking, is that it has players who are pretty wealthy and they pay a larger share of their income taxes Uh, to Washington, D.C. It doesn't stay in the local city. 
Zimbalist says Brooklyn, like other cities that have seen their sports team leave, be it Seattle with the Supersonics or St. Louis with the Rams, will be just fine. But he adds, only in a strict economic sense. So again, by itself, a ball team doesn't make a contribution to per capita income or to the fiscal health of a city, but it stands apart from the fact that, that ball teams have an immense cultural impact. Truth be told, that impact has become less significant with every passing year. The Dodgers are still playing good baseball, but a new generation of fans apparently have better things to do, like waxing their beards, going to hatchet-throwing contests, and consuming endless varieties of craft beer. And that is what has brought me here to the Kovenhoven Beer Bar, sandwiched between two trendy restaurants, Boot and Butter and Lamb and Armor about a mile north of Ebbets Field. I struck up a conversation with Jasper Jarvis, a 26-year-old software engineer. On the wall above him is a vintage drink from Schaefer Brewing Company, as it used to call itself Schaefer, the one beer to have when you're having more than one. It is a small telling detail. The official beer of the Dodgers is now viewed through the lens of nostalgia. It's like, they've been here my whole life, and now I can't go anymore. And should I have cared before? Is this like... You know, when your parent dies and you're like, oh, I should have hung out with them more often, gone back to visit? Or is this like, should I not care in the first place? I'm kind of conflicted about it. Jasper Jarvis is not alone. During my time in Brooklyn, I heard from many people who think the city will be just fine without baseball. They have artisan pickles and mayonnaise, bespoke messenger bags made to match the fur of your dog. And as one pencil sharpener, Yes, that's a profession here, told me if they cheer for any sport these days, it's basketball. Hello, Brooklyn. Welcome to Parkley Center. I'm standing on the corner of Flatbush and Atlantic Avenues, right in front of a building many blame for the Dodgers' decision to pick up and leave. For years, the O'Malley family wanted to build Jackie Robinson Stadium right here, but it never got off the ground. Well, then, in 2009, rapper turned businessman Jay-Z dropped a bombshell. The lifelong Dodgers fan announced he was buying an ownership stake with the lowly New Jersey Nets, and soon thereafter he orchestrated the team's move to Brooklyn. Now they play in the gleaming new Barclays Center at the very spot the O'Malley's always wanted. We appreciate your cooperation and hope you enjoy the event. In retrospect, this was probably the beginning of the end. Much of the fan base, already shifting from baseball to basketball, naturally switched their allegiance from the Dodgers to the Nets. Fans who once filled the bleachers at Ebbets Field now spend their time at the futuristic-looking arena. This right here is a come-up. This is like, I, I mean, to somebody, if they came home from jail and saw this, they would think they was in the Jetsons or something, you know what I mean? That's Nets fan and local rapper Johnny Famous. He was hanging outside the Barclays before a recent game with his friend, New York L. And while both wore Dodger hats, the two agreed that basketball reigned supreme. I think it's a big culture thing. Like, you know, when there's nothing else to do, that's where, every, that's where everybody goes, to the park, whether it's late at night and as long as the light's on, they're in there, like, you know, working on their skills, jump shots and so forth. Honestly, yeah. Brooklyn, basketball, you know, that's just it. With tip-off approaching, the two make their way into the arena. As I watch them melt into the crowd, I think again about the Dodgers leaving. And the irony isn't lost on me that many of these fans are cheering for a team that Brooklyn stole from New Jersey. 
it shows that it's possible for your love to find someone new. Well, call me old-fashioned, but not everybody wants someone new. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. And that's why I'm back at Ron Schweiger's Basement Museum. I made a promise to watch opening day with him, the final opening day. He greeted me with a cold bottle of Schaefer, and we watched the first pitch thrown out by both Barbara Streisand and Lil' Kim. Ron told me about his master plan. Within the next year and a half, two years, I'm donating all of my Brooklyn memorabilia, not just my Dodger stuff, but my maps, my documents, my hundreds of early 20th century postcards of Brooklyn street scenes. Everything is going to the Brooklyn College archives. Are you really okay with that? My wife is looking forward to that. Uh, it'll give us more room in the house. As the first batter comes to the plate, Ron takes a sip of beer and says out loud, the Dodgers aren't leaving, they're just going on an extended road trip. And he thinks one day they'll be back home. I'm not so sure. In Brooklyn, I'm Robert Siegel. Slow curveball, see you later. Oh, that's not fair. Say, did you hear the news about what's happening in Brooklyn? We really got the blues about what's happening in Brooklyn. It ain't official yet. We hope official it don't get. But beware, my friend, and let me warn you. They're thinking of taking a bumps to California. Let's keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. Our house is not a home without some love. Don't let them leave our premises. L.A. will be their nemesis. Cause Brooklyn fits the Dodgers like a glove. Ah, yes, the strains of Phil Foster, birth name Fievel Feldman. He once sold peanuts at Ebbets Field. Today it would be edamame and kati rolls. I love Jay-Z and the uh, more modern, let us say, Brooklyn lyricists, but get a load of those rhymes. Warn ya, California, premises and nemesis. It's genius. Your governor was Schwarzenegger. You stole the Dodgers and also the Lakers. Haven't you yet hit your quota? You don't like baseball, you all like yoga. Keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. Okay, I could go on, but that would be unpleasant for all of us. Stay home. Don't leave town. Our story was produced by Bradley Campbell and edited by Derek John. We had some special help from David Folk and Flick and Robert Smith. And so Jared lowers his rake and he squints at the noonday sun. But as with much of this harvest to be reaped by this group of inmates turned herb farmers, only time will tell. In Elk City, Idaho, I'm Robert Smith. Next week on Upon Further Review, what if Brandy Chastain missed her penalty kick in the 1999 Women's World Cup? I think that there is a, a part of all of us who lived through those 90s and into 2000 that wish that the growth of women's soccer on the professional level would have been better. What If the Dodgers Never Left Brooklyn was based on a piece written by Robert Siegel. You can find that and other great what-ifs in Upon Further Review, published by 12, an imprint of Hachette. Upon further review, the podcast is hosted by me, Mike Pesca. Our executive producer is Derek John. TJ Raphael is senior producer, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of the Slate Podcast Network. 
To make sure you catch every episode, please subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, or all those other places that they serve podcasts. And if you like us, please leave a review and a rating. A good one, if you so care to. See you next week on Upon Further Review. But the promise of future emu hatchlings won't moisten Clyde Berryhill's skin for quite some time. In Pflugerville, Texas, I'm Robert Smith. That's <laughs> just terrible. That's funny. I'm not even sure how to read that.